Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill. I am a mortgage agent, a real estate investor, and half of this podcast. Joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by none other, Mr. Real Estate himself, Daniel Foch. Did I earn that title? I don't you know. Like I, feel like, I feel like I haven't earned that title. Not actually. yet, but you're, you're on your way. We're getting there. Dan, today we're going to start off with a definition, very unlike us, I know, to define things on this show, but this is not a traditional real estate term, okay? The definition- It kind of is, actually. Actually, you know what? It, it really is, if you, if you think about it, but it's not like ROI or, you know, it's not a real estate or investing term, traditionally speaking. The word we're going to define today to start things off is stress. Yes, that's Never right. Stress. You felt it. I felt it. You might be feeling it right now. The first definition is pressure or tension exerted on a material object, but you'll probably relate to this one a little more. A state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. Quote, he's obviously under a lot of stress, unquote. <laughs> so... Today, we are going to be exploring the infamous mortgage stress test, and we'll start off by looking at some debt numbers for the average Canadian. So even when working with real estate professionals, mortgage professionals, the home buying process can be a very emotional and stressful process. For most people, the homes they buy will be the biggest purchases of their lives. And one part in particular of that home buying process has always kind of been more stressful and complicated, maybe a bit more invasive and, and obviously more expensive than the rest of that process. And that part is mortgages. Now, simply put, a mortgage is a loan to buy a home. And buying a home is the Canadian dream, right? Well, for some these days, that dream is just that, a dream an unattainable reality. And for others, that dream, unfortunately, is becoming a bit of a nightmare. And a lot of that, whether it's unattainable or that dream's turning into a nightmare, a lot of that stems from affordability. Yeah, so we talk about how expensive everything's gotten, but also the buying power of a dollar and how inflation has caused the purchasing power that we have as Canadians to, to buy things in the economy to become so much weaker. And so debt is leverage. It plays a huge part in real estate and also real estate investing, but it also does in just about every other business. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you can't really do business without some form of leverage and leverage is debt and good debt is good. It helps you grow. But bad debt is extra bad. It's... I mean, I think the kids are saying these days it has a toxic relationship. Oof, toxic relationship. Yeah, I've heard that. Look it's at like us. a boomer. <laughs> so let's start things off by looking at some debt stats for Canadians. Dan, start us off here. So Canadians owe a dollar eighty-four for every one dollar they earn, and for others, even more. So that's on an average basis. Debt seems to be a normal thing for Canadians these days after a brief decline during the pandemic and obvious reasons why, because we saw- We were um, getting free money and we were told to stay home. Yeah, stimmy checks and nothing to spend them on. <laughs> the Canadian household debt to income ratio soared to 184.5% in the Jeez. first quarter of 2023. Yeah, that means Canadians owe nearly a dollar eighty-five for every dollar of disposable income. So, Nictionary, 
Please do your thing on this one. Hmm. I think you want me to define debt to income ratio, DTI, and I would be happy to do so. No, I was asking you to define money because I just don't know where to find any of that. <laughs> um, a debt to income ratio compares your monthly debt payments against your monthly gross income. That figure is expressed as a percentage. So the DTI indicates how much money you owe for every $1 you earn. Going back to what Dan just said, Canadians owe $1.84 for every dollar they earn. That is not good. Certainly not good. And I think an RBC poll recently found that Canadians between the ages of 35 and 44 are carrying a debt to disposable income ratio of 250% in 2019. Jeez. And indebted uh, Canadian millennials under age 35 had debt loads worth 165% of their disposable income. It's just wild to see some of those figures. And unfortunately, that ballooning debt has been largely driven by rising mortgage balances. But let's look at some average debts broken down by age ranges here, Dan. So I'll start off with the youngest generations here, 18 to 29 years old. Average mortgage balance for those that do own homes in that age bracket is $475,318. So your average credit card debt, this actually was is not horrible. Average credit card debt, $4,500. And your average HELOC, if you're an 18 to 29-year-old that owns a home, is $55,000. So we're looking you know, close to $600,000 in average debt for 18 to 29-year-olds that own a home. So then moving on to the 30 to 39-year-olds, the average total debt load is about 644000 and that's between mortgages, HELOCs, credit cards, and student loans. So it's not like, it sounds like a big number, but then when you think mortgages in the average Canadian house is like 700 to a, th- uh, a million bucks, and this is an older generation, so they might have more valuable houses, it kind of contextualizes it a little older bit. Older generation, 30 to 39? Come on, man. Older than the previous generation. Okay, maybe. okay. Now we get to still older, but not that old generation, 40 to 49 years old. These are the most heavily indebted Canadians with nearly $650,000 in total debt. HELOCs for this generation played a big role with the average balance exceeding $100,000 for those that have decided to draw from their lines of credit. That's scary. Yeah. Like given... What what's a HELOC right now? Prime plus one, prime plus two. They're they're not cheap. Even if it's prime, like that, the debt service on that is it's basically a cheap credit card. <laughs> the debt service on that is like eight grand a year. Yeah, on a, on a hundred k. Scary. Fifty to fifty nine year olds. I guess mortgage. This is funny. And RBC actually has did a report on this that showed that uh, Canadian millennials and Gen Xers are the most stretched by debt. So if you look at the increase from 1999 to present day for that age cohort, millennials, both younger millennials and older millennials saw the biggest jump from like 150 to 250% of household income. Because, And the reason is if you scroll down later in the report, it shows basically that they have the lowest assets. So mm-hmm. it's because like homes are very much the thing. They stretch to get the mortgages to buy the houses and then they don't didn't have the lifetime of paying down the mortgage either. Yeah, and this has all happened recently, right? Because yeah. if you're a millennial that bought a home, you likely bought it in the last, I don't know, five yeah. plus years yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, right? and house prices have skyrocketed like or so, did, and right? So, so mortgage so, rate. So even yeah. if, you know, that two-part uh, payment, principal and interest, if you're a millennial that bought a home in the last five plus years, you're likely just paying a hell of a lot more interest than yeah. you are actually against the equity in your home. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted myself there, which I tend to do. It's a, it's a Monday for us, so 
50 to 59 year olds mortgage owed about 367,000. So way less, almost half of the 40 to 49 year olds while total debt is about 566,000. 60 to 69 year olds average mortgage owed $256,000 where their total debt load was still about $436,000. So the the last the last group is those over 70 and very few of them have a mortgage, but for those who did, the average balance was still about $217,500. In debt in your 70s may be explained by the fact that many retirees want to remain in their homes as long as possible. So they're accessing funds through a line of credit or reverse mortgage that may allow them to to do that. And then I guess in passing, you know, the equity would, would pay off the mm-hmm. debt accumulated from that, that type of program. No, I don't want to get too off track here but this is you know this does explain a lot right you've got the 70 plus and dan we've talked about this numerous times in the show you've got that 70 plus generation that that isn't leaving those larger mostly unused homes because one they've got nowhere to go to it's too expensive to to get up and move and go try finding something else so this whole thing right here the 70 plus that aren't moving along that really opens up a whole new series of issues but We'll save that for another episode. Debt is on the minds of Canadians, but so is getting out of debt. From a 2023 BDO survey, 56% of Canadians polled plan to cut back spending on non-essentials, such as vacations and eating out. And they plan to do this to pay down their debt. 43% to hold back on essential spends, such as clothing and food and utilities. So you're really going to be trying to do just the bare minimum, 20% to work more and 30% are overwhelmed and don't know what to do. So we are thinking about debt. We like debt. And it's no secret that this have may have been why what we're here to talk about today, this stress test was initially implemented. Yeah, the fascinating part is that the stress test doesn't really account for a lot of this stuff either, right? Because it's rate only. It doesn't account for the fact that people aren't doing their personal stress tests. It doesn't account for, it doesn't account for you know, almost double-digit inflation and probably real double-digit inflation if you really mm-hmm. adjust, look at the real numbers. Double-digit inflation for the you know last year or when, even if it's just whatever, it doesn't account for inflation from when you started your mortgage term to when you have to renew doesn't account for the maybe the new vehicle that you had to buy or right like and and so anyway the mortgage stress test was introduced because there was concerns that the amount of mortgage debt that consumers were taking on was growing too large and too quickly in Canada and it could be a risk to the country's overall economic stability so all the way back in 2016 the stress test was introduced and again that was to address increasing levels of household debt in Canada and originally, it only applied to insured mortgages, meaning those for which the buyers had put less than 20% down, requiring them to pay for mortgage default insurance. These loans are also known as high ratio mortgages. And the stress test was designed to make sure that borrowers would be capable of making their mortgage payments even in the face of changing interest rates. This is the funny part too. Like, you know, you see the, the famous TikTok of like real estate market only goes up. It's like if you look at the Bank of Col- uh, Bank of Canada's policy interest rate from 2016 when this happened, because this was a response to try and cool an overheated market. Like we have to remember that from basically 
2008, we dropped our interest rate to 0.25 basis points for the first time ever, which we just did again during the pandemic. And then 2010, they climbed it to like 1% and it stayed there until 2015, yeah. right? So the overnight rate for the Bank of Canada was like 1% until 2015. Then they started cutting it again. 2015 went to like 50 bips, I think. Then around the same time, when they cut it, basically 15, 16, 17, things went nuts in Canada, yeah. right? Like house prices were up in Vancouver and Ontario, double digits. And then when the stress test came in, plus non-resident speculation tax in both BC and Ontario and rates started increasing from 2017 basically until 2019 house prices fell that entire time if it wasn't for that pandemic the big drop in rates that might have been the, the last peak of our cycle yeah very interesting to just uh, speculate on what the world and real estate world specifically would look like without the good old pandemic that kind of came in and, and messed things up anyway sorry dan where were we yeah no I, well it Basically, the stress test was designed to make sure it served as a margin of safety in case rates jumped to levels that would prove difficult for some borrowers to handle. Imagine the foresight of Peter Routledge. Wow. Guy's probably feeling like a genius right yeah, now. I mean, good for you. Someone had a crystal ball a little bit back then. And listen, when we, if you listen to the show, you know we talk about running numbers a lot, right? And usually we're talking about that in the context of an investment property. And, you know, we run them at a certain rate, right? We always like to play around with that rate as well. Yeah. So, and beyond just the the interest rate piece, like I stress test several different variables, most notably, and, and this one's obviously a little bit, uh, it probably doesn't matter in the Canadian market right now, but, you know, we, I was always taught to stress test my vacancy rate. 100%. Right. Yeah. Um, and even if you say, okay, if I'm modeling at a 1% vacancy, which is what a lot of markets are right now, a doubling of that is yep. 2%. It's still historically low vacancy rate. So, Well, and I mean, in our personal portfolio right now, that's one of the main challenges that we're facing, right? right. We have more units vacant now than, than we've ever had, which is which is fine. It's it's hurting us a little bit, but you know, we're, we're looking at the numbers being like, okay, well, there, there's zero vacancy in the markets that we are in, but tenants are the real asset. So we're not just backfilling with the first people we see. And truthfully, you know, we've, we've tripped up a little bit and we didn't account for the amount of vacancy that we thought we were going to have. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, I guess you, you would model that as a vacancy rate, but it really is the turnover period that it takes to find exactly. a good tenant. I mean, there's no shortage of applications, but yeah, like some, some units have been vacant for one, two, three months, yep. just tr waiting for the right waiting for the right tenant, for the right applicant yeah. um so so the question is you know does the property work if you double your vacancy rate from one to two percent or two to four percent um does it work at a three percent interest rate rather than you know um 0 0.99 which some people are getting on, on variables <laughs> um yeah obviously like you can you can cash flow anything at two percent or three percent, right? I sure hope so. Or it should, yeah. I mean, and, and but does it cash flow at five percent or seven percent? And have you run the numbers to determine when it stops working? Because a lot of people, I mean, they could have even said, "Oh, right," like you would have had an opportunity in twenty twenty to sell at top dollar. Still, sorry, twenty twenty two to sell at top dollar when you saw, oh, fixed rates five percent. Two years out, a fixed rate still five percent. This isn't this asset's not going to work for me anymore. I should probably just sell it now ahead of that, right? Yeah. So, like, so also when you stress test, respond to those variables if they materialize. And again, this is why going in, whether it's an investment property or your primary residence, I don't care what it is. Go in and and you have to play with those numbers, right? It's all about what you can afford on a monthly basis. This goes back to debt service coverage ratio. But again, let's not digress. So back in twenty sixteen. 
The stress test was implemented then in 2018. The Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, Offsea, expanded the stress test to include uninsured mortgages. Remember, it was just insured mortgages that it was affecting at first. So the minimum qualifying rate used at that time was the greater of two numbers. So either one of these, okay? The Bank of Canada's five-year fixed benchmark rate or your lender's contract rate. So let's say your contract rate was 3%. It would be that plus 2%. So essentially you would take whatever interest rate you were getting from your lender and throw an extra 2% on there because in what world would mortgage rates go up more than 2%? That's insane to think about. But this is like one of the other reasons why we started seeing a lot of people jump into those variables. Um, That's because, exactly it. Yeah. And so the rules changed again in, in June 2021. And the minimum qualifying rate was now either the rate offered by the lender plus 2% or a rate of 5.25%, whichever was higher. These rules applied to anyone borrowing from a federally regulated lender. Um, and so the another often not discussed byproduct of this is how much business ends up pushing to to the B side, right? Same, and, and I think we're going to see the same thing happen in re- renewal time over the 25, next 25, 26, 26 yeah. when a lot of people are going out to say, ah, okay, well, rates already suck. Like if I'm going to pay 7%, I might as well go to a B side and stretch out the AM to 40. Uh-huh. Get some better terms. Yeah. And just, just kind of tread water a little bit better, right? Take the, drop the weights or whatever. So anyway, these, these rules apply to anyone borrowing from a federally regulated lender. So that's in a lot of cases, your, your big sixes. Big right? six, credit unions yeah. in some cases, FIs like yeah. First National. Yeah. So, and this would include anyone, first time home buyers, investors, and existing homeowners, insured or uninsured. So initially the OSFI stress test uh, was at the higher of two percentage points above the buyer's contract rate or the Bank of Canada five-year rate. But after the Bank of Canada drastically cut rates during the pandemic, OSFI was concerned that the five-year benchmark was too low to protect buyers against any possible adverse events. So in June of 2021, the most recent update, OSFI decided to decouple the minimum qualifying rate from the central bank's poster rate, and it now set a new precedent. It now set a floor rate of 5.25%, and they decided they're going to review that number annually. So again, if you are if you had a rate lower than 5.25%, you would be tested at that rate. That is the new benchmark. I feel like Routledge, like just given you know his crystal ball in this, should have been a, this the central banker potentially. Like I don't know, just <laughs> I mean he might still yeah, be. He might true. still be. Um, and he had some really interesting calls in like 2015, 2016 regarding um, foreign ownership as well, which we discussed in the yeah. Evergrande episode because he used to work as an economist at National Bank. So by requiring buyers to qualify at a higher rate than they're actually being offered, the stress test makes it more difficult for Canadians to get a mortgage, which in my opinion is a good thing given our propensity to uh, lever up. And love debt. Yeah. And uh, so it can reduce the mortgage payment or sorry, mortgage amount you qualify for or require you to save more money for a larger down payment. And now again, that is on purpose, right? This is not an accident that they were purposely trying to make it harder for Canadians to buy properties. That is literally the point of the stress test is to essentially put you know, fake stress on you before you buy this so you right. can understand if it's possible. It's almost like they noticed that Canadians weren't stress testing themselves. Or right? that Canadians just weren't stressed and just going right. out and buying properties. Yeah. So again, when the stress test came in for uninsured borrowers back in 2018, it cut purchasing power by 
22%. So again, that's just what we were talking about, right? Like they wanted to tell Canadians, hey, if things go up one or 2%, how is that going to affect you? Well, it cut borrowing power by 20%. That is a big difference. And that is again, according to National Bank, the most recent update cut buying power by 4% on average. This is because lenders have limits on borrowers debt service ratios. The amount of their income that goes to making their payments and pushing the mortgage rate up means they'll likely hit the ceiling faster and thus be qualifying for smaller mortgage amounts. So while a 4% decrease in purchasing power might sound modest, it can be significant. Last year, the real estate brokerage Zucasa calculated that Canadians looking to buy the average price home in their city with 20% down payment would see the mortgage they qualify for decrease between $14,000 and $47,000 annually. Alternatively, they need to boost their income by between 2000 and 9000 annually to compensate for the difference as a result of the stress test. And that's just the 4% upgrade to the stress mm-hmm. test. Those living in Toronto and Vancouver took the biggest hits to mortgage qualification amounts. Really? Shocker. Yeah. Never heard those <laughs> two on this show. They never appear in data points. The stress test tends to be disproportionately affect those who are just on the margins of qualifying, right? So those who typically are buying the most house that they can afford. And that's a lot of people that decided to, you know, again, lever up and, and really push themselves to the limits. And Dan, we say this all the time, and, and maybe I say it more as, as a mortgage agent, but just because you can qualify for a certain amount, does not mean that is the amount that you should or need to take. Yeah, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Don't. Yeah, exactly. According to CMHC's 2021 Mortgage Consumer Survey, 65% of buyers paid the maximum price they could afford to buy their home. So they did not listen to this show. Crazy. Well, I guess we weren't really putting out too many episodes back in 2021, but... It's too bad. We actually covered that that survey, I think, mm-hmm. or the 2022 survey. Anyway, you'll have to undergo the stress test regardless of whether you opt for a fixed or variable rate mortgage. So it's not exclusive. However, there are differences in the rates. And so with variable rates consistently lower than fixed rates, choosing to be stress tested at a variable rate during certain periods of time, and especially late 2021, early 2022, when the, the fixed rate was climbing and the variable rate was still exceptionally low, the bond market already knew things were going to get crazy, right? And so your fixed rates, which depend on the Canadian uh, Government of Canada five-year bond yields, they were already up. And so those were getting stress tested eventually at like 6%, whereas the variables towards the end of 2021, that was when we saw 60, what was it 56% or 60% of people of new mortgage originations were going variables. Yeah. Which again goes against the- Yeah historical average right. or historical decision of Canadians, which yeah. was the five-year fix. But it was a clear circumvention of the stress test, right? Exactly. People were just going to get the the cheaper rate because they needed to maximize their borrowing power. So, so let's look at an example of, of what you just described, Dan. An uninsured buyer who went with the lowest available five-year fixed rate as of August 2022 would be stress tested at 6.79%. Now, if they went with the lowest available five-year variable rate, they'd be stress-tested at 6.15%. So a difference of over 50 bips right there. Now, in this case, a hypothetical uninsured borrower who's making $100,000 a year doesn't have other debts and takes a 30-year amortization period could qualify for a home that's 5.4% more expensive if they chose that variable rate. And back in those days, that 5% made a big difference for a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. It was like 
the the challenge is with this low rate environment, prices were climbing so excessively that people were really just trying to maximize borrowing power in hopes that they could buy a house and with the fear that they would miss out. Is there a name for that? A phone? But it, oh, if they didn't, low. everybody was so desperate to buy a house because they they felt that if if that growth continued, then they would never be able to afford. And and they probably weren't wrong, honestly, but fortunately the growth didn't continue. Well, and I know that you, like going back to the FOMO piece, which again is, is just crazy. I know that you covered this with Alyssa Davies and I, I think a Zolo article, right? So yeah, again, FOMO literally made up a massive reason. I think it was the number one reason as to why it was, yeah. jumped into the market. Yeah. And if you tie FOMO in, which, which is just a horrible reason to buy a house or a horrible reason to really do anything. Yeah. If you tie that in with, okay, I need to lever up and the only way I can do that is by circumventing the stress test by using a variable rate to max out everything I'm doing, it kind of starts to make sense as to why people, so many people went down that road. Yeah. Yeah. So her and I recorded, I have since lost the recording because I moved everything over to the cloud and it's, I'm sure it exists somewhere, but it's- Alyssa, yeah, we, the we, need are, we need to do it. I've texted her about it, but <laughs> but it is a really, really cool, cool article and we're going to we're gonna cover it on the show. And I actually did a full article on the stress test for Zolo's website as well, which we can maybe link in the show notes if anybody wants to read more about it. According to the loan comparison website, ratehub.ca, the yearly income needed to purchase the average Canadian home at a fixed mortgage rate- with 20% down is climbed by an average of $18,000 owing to these higher stress test requirements as of July. Vancouver buyers need to make a minimum of 232000 a year to afford a home in the city, a nearly $32,000 increase from March of this year. And Toronto buyers need to make roughly 226000 an additional 16000 in the same time frame. And those are some serious numbers to be able to afford a home. Yeah, the the affordability context is like there's a there's a even better one I'll pull up because um, it's like it's that stat that's going around that's like less than ten percent of Canadians yeah. can afford. I'll pull it up while you're child. Okay, you're so let's here. yeah, well, Dan's doing that. Let's fast forward to today. The head of Canada's banking regulator said its mortgage stress test was quote imperfect and quote incomplete as homeowners on a variable rate mortgages struggle to repay their loans after the central bank series of interest rate hikes. Going back to our friend Peter Rutledge here, Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, Superintendent, that's a mouthful, Peter Rutledge, spoke at Scotiabank's financial summit and addressed the rising pressure Canadians are facing, such as payment shock at the time of renewals, as their fixed payments largely covers just the interest portion on their mortgage. He estimates that the variable rate fixed payment mortgages stood at $369 billion Canadian dollars in a mortgage market of $2.1 trillion. Banks offering these products have reported that about $260 billion of these amortized after longer than 35 years, he added. Those are those are just crazy numbers. Yeah. $369 billion, 2.1. So the total mortgage market is $2.1 trillion. And $369 billion of that seems to be in trouble. So the stress test rules amended in 2021. They then require borrowers to prove they can handle mortgage repayments 200 basis points above the contracted rate. And they will have to re-qualify if moving to a different lender at their time of renewal. As effective as the stress test was, it was not perfect, Rutledge said noting that many consumers opted for variable rate fixed payments when interest rates were low during the pandemic. 
perhaps it is better to call it incomplete. I would call it during that period of time actually counterproductive. Yes. Given given that the gap in the stress test pushed so many people into those static payment variable rate mortgages and then rates were promptly increased massively, it created a huge trap. Like well, a huge. I, I think in, it's one of those things that like on paper and in theory, it was like, yeah, this is going to work because right. people are sensible and you know, there's nothing's crazy is going to happen that's going to affect the global economy and consumer sentiment. And you know, again, in theory and on paper, the stress test makes a great amount of sense. But when you put that into a the hands of a very emotional, indebted population that's trying to buy houses as fast as they can because there's not enough of them, we end up where we are today. Yeah, well, the biggest mistake of economics is assuming that consumers are rational, right? <laughs> yes. So these consumers had to qualify at a higher rate if they choose to move to a different lender on renewal. And this is where we have this next wall of challenges because a lot of people are going to be stuck with those lenders simply because they'll have to hit renew rather than than a refi because they, they wouldn't qualify. Mm-hmm. They probably wouldn't even qualify for the renewal they're taking. So... And actually, just to contextualize that from a mortgage perspective, we might as well for the audience. So if you already have a mortgage, as long as you up to date on your property taxes, haven't missed a payment, no major changes to your credit file, your lender will just send you a, a thing at, on your, when, your, letter, yeah, yeah. When, when your term's up that just says renew your mortgage. a few weeks before. And, it's and they'll give you a list of rates. Simple. Yeah. List of rates and pick one and then send it back. And then they'll call you to follow up and you can literally pick one. You, I, I think you don't even have to sign because you can just do it over the phone. But... I'm probably wrong. I tend to be tend to do that. But uh, but then a, a refi or a takeout would be if you're actually trying to replace that loan with a different type of loan, and then you would have to requalify. Yeah. And so you'd have to submit your all your documents again, get in a full qualify, mortgage, be stress yeah. tested, et cetera. Yeah, it's the same process as a new mortgage. Yeah. And so a lot of people aren't going to be in the position to do that. I know I even like on a lot of my places I wouldn't qualify at current debt debt service coverage ratios and what? only 10% of people right 10% yeah of Canadians. yeah it's literally 10% of Canadians fewer than 10% fewer of Canadians than 10% sorry. Yeah, yeah can afford the average house in Canada right now so if you're ever wondering why the market is so slow it might be because your buyer pool has yeah. been uh, reduced by 90% <laughs> yeah. anyway uh, Rutledge said we seek an integrated set of common sense protections that work effectively with both when interest rates are higher than normal, like today, and when interest rates are lower than normal, like during the COVID years. The Bank of Canada on Wednesday held its key rate steady at a 22-year high of 5%. So that was a couple of months ago, up from a record of 0.25%, uh, so 25 bips. That was when it was dropped in March 2020 to probably avoid a, a depression. Uh, you know, was it a good decision? Probably, yeah, honestly. Was was hold, keeping it that low along, <laughs> that long a good decision? I don't know. So Routledge noted that the risk environment was growing for Canadian financial systems and the OSFI was working on a new supervisory framework, which will be in effect in 2024. And this is something they really got a tiptoe on, right? Like they've been releasing pieces of it. They just came out with one a couple of weeks ago. Then it was basically a nothing burger around static payment vari- variables and then also renewals and stuff like that ratios yeah Yeah. and that you know he was like yeah it won't be people won't be treated as a new credit file on renewal basically getting rid of that fear that i just mentioned because that would be possibly devastating yeah so canadian banks home loans with a tenor of more than 30 years edged lower in the third quarter but analysts say risks remain elevated with borrowing costs expected to stay higher for longer never heard that before you'll probably start hearing higher for longer a hell of a lot more over uh, at least the next 12 to 24 months and this is of course going to be forcing banks to set aside more funds 
to prepare for some of those bad loans and what could possibly happen with some of those bad loans, which, you know, we will wait and see and of course be covering on this show. So on October 16th, OSFI released its response, which I had just mentioned to that feedback. It got on stress test. Some proposals look to take effect in the new year. The regulator seems to be walking others back and simply because they probably can't do it without breaking things. And I think that the interest rate increases are going to break things sufficiently. That's the vibe that I'm getting. Well, remember 12 months to experience the effects of an right. interest rate. So we still have a lot of experiencing to do. Yeah. So let's take a look at what might be coming down the pipe for borrowers. And this comes from their statements. When a borrower opts to switch lenders, a new loan is created, as we mentioned, where we therefore expect that a new loan, that new loan to be fully underwritten, including application of the MQR for uninsured mortgages to assess debt affordability, states OSFI's response summary. This is because the new lender must do its own due diligence as will the as it will own the credit risk for an uninsured loan. So currently, the stress test requires borrowers to prove that they can carry their mortgage rate at a minimum of, again, that 5.25% number. And that is known as what Dan just said, the MQR, that's the mortgage qualifying rate or their contract plus 2%, whichever number is higher. Well, given that today's lowest fixed and variable rates are well above 3.25% and 5.25%, that 5.25% threshold has effectively been rendered obsolete. The regulator has confirmed that it will not create tougher requirements for borrowers debt service coverage ratios, which was part of a larger proposal to limit the number of loans lenders can provide to high-risk borrowers. So that's a piece of good news right there. Aussie isn't going to make it tougher on us. Well, at least they're saying that. We'll uh, see. I, I, I believe them. Like, they can't. They can't really. You can't make it tougher. 10% of people can afford a house in Canada. That's too much. I want it 5% yeah. or lower. Yeah, 0% or nothing. <laughs> Currently, lenders use two main calculations when qualifying a borrower for a mortgage, the gross debt service or GDS ratio and the total debt service or TDS ratio, which cannot exceed 39 and 44% respectively. On investment properties, the lender will use a debt service coverage ratio as well, which they usually want to see greater than 1.2, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I think that's the CMHC benchmark. Yeah, yeah. well, they, I think that's what they use for their MLI select in a lot yeah. of cases. But And the debt service coverage ratio, we've mentioned it. We've done an entire episode on it. I love the love it. If you can calculate it on your own, quick and dirty to figure out whether or not a deal will even debt service. It's a great negotiating tactic. You go to somebody and you're like, hey, your debt service coverage ratio is below 2%, or what? sorry, we're below 1.2. I can't buy this for that price. Your price needs to come down to this if you want anybody to be able to buy your deal. Yeah, and actually, we this is funny, that little plug right here. We actually just did a full lesson on this in, in our course, which is really going very, very well. Yeah, the well course right has now. been great. It's been awesome. Awesome yeah. cohort, awesome yeah. feedback. Everybody's been really like helpful and helping us develop it, like really make the course yeah. super valuable for people of all, like we have, I, I have people who like in the course who are buying like multiple pre-cons with MLI select, deals, like, yeah. yeah, like eight, eight unit. Got, um, but we also have people that have not even bought anything yet. Yeah. Right? So, and, and some of those people are now talking to each other and yeah. doing deals with them. Yeah. The community pieces. It's amazing. It's got like a little, we've been talking about this for a long time on the, on the um, pod, but having a forum integrated and stuff like that. And so yeah. that the course has a forum where people are, are uh, it's really cool. You got to join it. That's it. That's the, that's the last pitch that we'll put in for a while. And we are going to open it up, I think in like a, a month. Yeah. Yeah. We're we, very excited in V2. But anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. Stay tuned for, for more of that. So after careful considerations of stakeholder feedback, we agree that regulatory limits on debt service coverage should not be pursued. States OSFI. 
While such limits could result in greater consistency, they would remove too much risk-based decision-making and risk ownership from lenders. While clear limits apply to... That's actually good because it, it's kind of encouraging competition mm-hmm. among lenders. Um, I, I haven't seen the statement yet, so it's good. While clear limits apply to insured mortgages under law, they generally serve other public policy objectives beyond prudential soundness and financial stability. A strengthened principles-based expectation could therefore be more suitable. That sounds promising. This guy's very well spoken. Very well spoken. Uh, I did not write that. That is copy yeah. pasted from a uh, Reuters article. But that's um, not. An, I, I saw the quotes around, and I just assumed it was a Nickel original. <laughs> <laughs> However, borrowers may need to brace for new loan to income requirements, which could limit the amount of mortgage they qualify for based on how much money they make, regardless of the size of a down payment. In the mortgage world, this is the most important thing. You can have a massive down payment, but if you don't make a lot of money, that is going to be the main issue. So more specifically, affected borrowers would be capped at a loan amount no larger, get this, Dan, than 450% of their income. How dare they? <laughs> I want at least 500%. There was a period, though, where you, where it was like, it was like a thousand. Yeah. Like, or it was, I guess it was eight, 8X or like 9X. I think People were buying pushing 9X. A thousand. I don't know if it actually hit a thousand, but. Yeah. Like, so if you're, uh, I mean, if you're buying a house that's 10X your annual income, annual household income, I don't know. I mean. They're making money every yeah. month. They're yeah. making some money. I, and I think a, a big piece is, and like, this is just a, this is just a natural consumer thing to do, is people assume that they're going to be, like, they assume like a, like a future earnings potential in their head, right? It's like the opposite of a stress test. Man, just like when I was 18, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be 25, I'll be, I'll drive a Porsche, I'll probably have a mansion, and 25, I was like, okay, 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then now you keep, I'm, now yeah. I've just turned 34, I'm like 40. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Maybe next life. <laughs> yeah. So the final changes to the B20 will be confirmed in January. Keep in mind, the changes outlined above are not necessarily set in stone and only reflect OSFI's response to feedback to the proposed measures. So let's see what happens and we'll circle back. I think it'd be a good idea to to revisit this when it actually comes out in January. Maybe we'll try and go. I've been, I don't know if it was you I was talking to or if it was Simone, but I was like, we got to go to a Bank of Canada presser. We definitely Yeah, yeah. so, so anyway, I've, I would like to do that, and we should go. We should, yeah, we should go to the we should yeah. go to the Osby presser as well. It would be pretty sweet to do. Okay, so just to close things out here, because I want to have a quick little discussion at the end. But there's, I had to include this article in here. This is from the Financial Post. Uh, I think it just came out two, two, three days ago. Um, for anyone time stamping, I think it was like October twenty seventh, twenty twenty three. Uh, titled "Post Haste: Three point Four Million Canadians Will Renew Their Mortgages by Twenty Twenty Five and they're worried. So here are some highlights from the article, Dan. I'll start things off and then you jump in. And then I want to have a quick discussion as to kind of this whole thing and, and your opinion on it. 3.4 million Canadian homeowners will renew their mortgages in the next 14 months. Almost all of them will be at higher rates. So this is a, a survey put together by Royal LePage, and it predicts that 24% will extend amortization. will switch lenders and have to pre-qualify for that stress test again. That's going to suck. 20% will extend the term length and 17% will sell their home, downsize, or try to actually do some type of house hacking or bring in a tenant or, or something along the lines of actually increasing their monthly income by using their house as a, as more of an asset. Crazy. 
And I mean, I think stats. that, well, the people who are extending an AM, like they're either going to, if they're staying with an A lender, then they're only going to 25 or 30, I guess. 30 would be the max. Yeah. So like people who need more than a 30, like the people who are on these static payment variables that are 90. Lump sum payment time. Yeah, I guess. Um, or, but it's like if they, if they were going to make a lump sum, they probably already would have. Right. Like what's the point of renting your house? Really? Uh, I guess maybe just keep money like aside. I, like Ron mentions this a lot. Like it's like he's he, he says you know you'd be surprised how many people in those mortgages could actually afford the higher payments if they mm-hmm. needed to mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe they're just not doing it i mean again like it's it's so subjective for for so many people across the country right everyone's got different things going on in their lives and and planning for different things and i mean it's it's tough to put blanket statements on this kind of stuff because there is no one size fits all when it comes to Canadians in debt with their mortgages and houses, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, Dan, what are the rest of the stats here? Yeah, so of that that survey, 74% are on fixed rates with 49% on five-year terms, 20% on variable rate, uh, 49% of that math doesn't add up somehow, but 49% on a five-year term, 39% on a 25-year amortization. So nearly three quarters of respondents are worried. So what do we think is going to happen here? Because really the next act to play out in kind of the financial stage here in Canada is what the hell is going to happen when all these mortgage renewals come up in 2025, 2026. We're obviously we'll keep a close eye on this and we'll keep everyone listening informed as OSFI continues to come out and amend and change the stress test. Again, they're they're predicting new stuff to come out in, in January of 2024. Uh, Dan, do you think they remove this entirely? Do you think they amend it substantially? What, what's your what's your quick take on this before we wrap up here? I think Peter Routledge is very proud of the stress test, and I don't see him getting rid of it anytime soon. And I don't think that they should. Like it's, I mean, it actually kind of like it kind of screwed up in pushing people to the static payment variable, and we've already exceeded the rate. Like if you went for a five. And you and you were qualifying at a five plus two, so five five percent mortgage, and you're qualifying at a five plus two. Actually, let's let's use a three and a half because this actually happened. So you're you're qual- you're borrowing a three and a half percent five year fix two years ago, and you qualified at five point five. Five point five, yeah. Now you have to renew at a six or a seven. So you're actually above the stress test yeah. rate. So if it's only like, I think that Routledge said. I'm looking at all of these borrowers and they all think that rates are going to stay this low forever. How can I make force them to be financially prudent so that our economy doesn't implode on renewal? Cause our economy is like slightly imploding <laughs> yeah. without the renewals even yeah, happening totally. yet. Yeah. But I mean, it is like, this is, it's really putting a draw on, on the Canadian household finances, really putting a draw on a lot of people's ability to service their mortgages. Everyone is financially stressed. I think that the foresight that he had in putting this in, in place was was brilliant, and I hope that they. I I, I think they're going to keep the stress test. The question is how do they, how do they remove some of these negative externalities, the mm-hmm. problems, the bi- bad byproducts that happen as a result of the stress test, namely the static payment variable rate mortgages, which they're a very small portion of the book of the total bank book, but they're a big portion of the banks. Some of these banks have like thirty percent of their mortgages yeah, in over that. over a legally allowable amortization. So. Um, he's got a big task on his hand to fi- to iron out all that stuff. I think he's going to be focused on that and not even, I don't even think we'll hear anything about the stress test. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, very quickly, I think the stress test 
did what it was supposed to do for quite some time. And I think that if, if certain global events hadn't happened, we, we'd probably in a, be in a very different situation right now. I think it taught a lot of Canadians a, a very prudent lesson where you need to be running numbers at higher than they are. And you need to be preparing for different types of situations. Even, you know, we talked to even some investors, some some kind of novice investors that are like, oh yeah, you know, I'm buying this property, you know, I have it at a 5% rate. You know, I, I've talked to serious investors that don't buy anything unless it works at a 12% rate. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a serious stress test. So uh, I think all in all, it, it did what it was supposed to do. I think that um, unforeseen events definitely threw uh, a wrench into some of the plans and, and forced people to do certain things. Um but overall, I think it uh, I think it did what it's supposed to do, and I think that with a few kind of maybe maybe changes to it, uh, I think we can get back on track here. I hope you're right. Very quickly, we got meetups coming up the 14th of November, second Tuesday of November, all over the country. Check out I think the real estate meetups dot com or dot ca. Sorry, real estate meetups dot ca link. If you type it in your browser, it works. If you uh, are clicking the link in the show notes, just click the meetup link because the forwarding doesn't work on when you click the link for some reason. I don't know. Of course, we will be reopening for registration. There is a link in the show notes. You can, um, you can hop on the waiting list. Yeah, hop on the waiting list and yeah. we'll email you as soon as it reopens. I think our target date is kind of like middle of December to open it up. So a little Christmas present for everybody. And uh, you want to finish it off with a positive little... little positive sure. review here. Great Canadian content. Five stars. The perfect balance of banter, news, and opinions. They cover a great range of topics and cover the entire country when possible. This is the best podcast for Canadian content, and that is from our friend Mikey Lou ninety five. I thought that was you that wrote that one, Nick. I thought that was a Nickel original. Thanks, Mikey. Appreciate Thanks, Mikey. It. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.